and welcome once again to the Perimeter Church Podcast. How do you successfully attack the impregnable fortress? History is filled with them, and there are usually two solutions. Technological advancement creates obsolescence, or a traitor unlocks the back door. Teaching team member Caleb Click brings us this message entitled, A Strong Man Made Weak, which covers Judges, chapter 16, verses 1 to 31. For more information and to watch or hear other messages, please visit our website at perimeter.org. Thank you for joining us today. Well, uh, they made the mistake of telling me I could preach on whatever I wanted again, and so you got Samson. And this is a story that I have loved this story since I was a little kid. I remember sitting in my house and flipping through this little children's Bible. You know the ones I'm talking about, the illustrated ones. And you would turn the pages, and then you'd come to Samson, and at least as a little boy, I knew that I wasn't going anywhere else. Because there was this massively muscled man who is killing lions with his bare hands. He's taking foxes, and he's tying their tails together, and he's setting them on fire. He's swinging jawbones at his enemies. He's tearing down buildings by pushing on pillars. He's this insane, bizarre, strange figure. And as a kid, as a kid, there was a part of me that goes, does anyone else know this is in here? Because this is amazing. Like, this is the coolest thing I've ever seen. And that fascination, it hasn't gone away. Over the years, this has been a story that I have come back to over and over again because there's a part of me that goes, I don't really understand what's going on. Why is this story here? And I know, I know I'm not the only person who's fascinated with this story. You know, there's a reason that anytime there's a mini-series about the Bible and they decide to include anything from the Old Testament, Samson gets an episode, doesn't he? marketers know what the kind of things that we want to see. And everybody wants to see Samson sling around a jawbone. When you think about the movies that have been made about the Bible, who gets more than their fair share? Samson. There was one just a couple of years ago that I haven't seen, but I saw the trailer, and it's basically superhero Samson doing Arnold Schwarzenegger things and tossing around people like ragdolls. And what is the thing What is the thing in every single one of those that we are all focused on? Look how strong Samson is. This is strength. This is power. There's even a church in Georgia that on their campus they have a gym. Do you know what the name of that gym is? Samson's Health and Fitness Center. And in the lobby... There is a statue of a veiny, ripped, muscular Samson pushing down two pillars, which I think is funny because they're inviting you in to get strong, but they're showing you an image of a man who's about to die. Almost as though their marketing team didn't think through what they were doing. But we look at Samson, what do we see? Strength. Here's a man who is stronger than all the rest, but when it comes to the rest of his story, we really don't know what in the world it's doing here in the Bible. But the more that I've sat with this story... The more I've thought through it, the more it has begun to hit me that Samson's strength and the way that he uses his strength, it's not something to be celebrated. Rather, it's a sign that something is terribly wrong. Because Samson, Samson's not a hero. 
Samson's a tragedy. Samson is a man who has been blessed by God in incredible ways and then with his entire life squanders it. In the book of Judges, Israel is on this downward spiral. God has called them, he's loved them, he's redeemed them, and he's called them to follow after him. And Israel, with every breath, they've said no. And their sin is getting worse and worse and worse. And the judges, these deliverers that God keeps sending to Israel, they're getting worse with them. Samson, he's the climax. Samson is a mirror of Israel in all the wrong ways. He's a man who, just like Israel, has been given a special calling and a purpose by God. He's a Nazarite from his birth. He's a man who's never supposed to eat certain foods or drink certain drinks or live in a certain way. He's not to touch dead bodies. And he is, for darn sure, not supposed to cut his hair, ever. And the reason he's been set apart is this. He is supposed to begin to save God's people from the Philistines. And Samson, just like Israel, Samson with every breath says no. He's a man profoundly loved by God. And yet just like Israel and just like us, he's a man who has given his heart to anyone and everything but God because he is convinced. He's convinced that life has to be somewhere else. Samson's not a hero. But in Judges 16, God is. Because while what we see in this man is a man who thinks he is strong, but really he's weak. A man who should have been faithful, but in every way was faithless. Even as we look on this man and his sin, we also see a God who is faithful even to those who don't deserve it. A God who redeems even the very worst of people and who has shown us that faithfulness in Jesus. But before we see that faithfulness of God, we see the foolishness of sin. In the first three verses of Judges 16, Samson's at the height of his powers. He's killed lions, he's slaughtered Philistines, but this moment, this is where Samson is basically looking out at the world and saying, there is absolutely no one who can stop me. He's sitting in the middle of a Philistine town, Gaza. He's just been with the Philistine prostitute, which means what you think it means. And he is surrounded by a Philistine army that are waiting for him to try to make his escape so they can finally bring him down. And what does Samson do? Samson doesn't hide. He doesn't tremble. He doesn't try to find some place in the wall where he can slip over in the dark. No, Samson does that thing that only somebody who is supremely confident in their strength does. Samson walks to the front gate, the very front door of the city, and he takes that gate, which is supposed to keep armies out and people in, and Samson picks it up frame and all, and then carries it, if you know your geography, 40 miles away to a hill in Hebron, where he plants it like a flag and then turns around and looks back at the Philistines he just left behind. Samson's looking at the Philistines and he's saying, bring it. What are you going to do? You can't stop me in your own city with your own women surrounded by your own army. I am stronger than you. I am better than you. No one can take me down. And the Philistines 
the Philistines decide, well, if we can't take him by direct confrontation, then there's got to be another route. There has to be a secret to this man's strength. And if we can just find that secret, then we will finally overcome him. And so they turn to Delilah. Which means what? If Samson doesn't want to be defeated, what is the only thing Samson doesn't have to do? All he has to do is shut up. Be quiet. You've broken every other Nazarite vow up to this point. You've touched dead animals. You've drunk wine. You've eaten the wrong foods. You've been with the wrong people. But this one last thing. Do not cut your hair and don't tell someone else to cut it either. That is the only thing that Samson has to do. And yet what does Samson end up doing? He gives the secret away. Why? Samson, he's not overcome because his enemies suddenly get stronger than him. Samson, Samson's overcome because he cannot master himself. What overcomes Samson, it's not his enemies, it's his desire. Verse 4 says, Samson loved a woman. He didn't love the wife that he married in Judges 14. It never says that. He definitely didn't love the prostitute. He saw her, he went in, and that was it. But he loves Delilah. And he looks at this woman, this woman who counts his life so cheaply that as soon as she's offered money, she starts trying to betray him. He looks at Delilah and he thinks, there is someone who will give me life. There is someone that I have a future with. There is someone that I have hope with. There is someone who will make me satisfied. There is someone who can give to me the two things I want more than anything else in the world, to be known, and not only to be known, but to be free. You see the first one all over the text. In verse 6, Delilah comes to Samson, and she says, Please tell me where your strength lies, and how you might be you know, if somebody wanted to, how you might be bound, that one could subdue you, or in the Hebrew, humiliate and torture you. Now that, that's a weird opening line. If you're trying to find out somebody's secret, this does not seem like the tact that one should follow. She's like a Bond villain giving away the ending before she should. But notice what Samson doesn't do. Samson doesn't hear that and go, miscalculation, I need to go. Samson stays. And Samson doesn't just stay, he keeps right on going until he finally gives up everything. Why? Delilah, she's not subtle, but she's not stupid. What's the one thing that if you love somebody, you want in return? You want to be known and loved, even as you know and love them. Delilah's coming to Samson and she's saying, you may have a secret that if you told anyone else it would get you killed, but you can tell me and you can trust me and you will be safe with me and you will be loved by me. Tell me who you are. She's offering him intimacy and Samson He's so desperate for it, Samson does the one thing he shouldn't do. Look at verse 15. 
And she said to him, how can you say to me, I love you, when your heart is not with me? You have mocked me these three times. You've lied to me three times about this secret. You have not told me where your great strength lies. And when she pressed him hard with her words day after day and urged him, his soul was vexed to death. And he told her all his heart. Notice this. Israel in the book of Judges, they haven't given their heart to God, but they've given it to idols. What is Samson about to do? He's giving his heart not to the Lord, but to a woman who's going to destroy him. And he lays his heart bare, and he said to her, A razor has never come upon my head. For I have been a Nazarite to God from my mother's womb. If my head is shaved, then my strength will leave me, and I shall become weak and be like any other man. Samson says, know me. See me as I am. Love me as I am. Give me the safety, the comfort that I so desperately crave, and he is willing because he wants it so badly to do something that all common sense says he shouldn't. But not only that, Samson, he doesn't just want to be known, he wants to be free. This one's a little more subtle, but once the commentators pointed this out, I can't unsee it. Samson, all of his life, God has given him this one unique calling. He is to be Israel's deliverer. And Samson has treated that calling not as a blessing, but as what? A curse. He doesn't want to be identified with God's people. He wants to be identified with the very people he's supposed to destroy, the Philistines. He married a Philistine wife. He went to a Philistine prostitute. He's now with, you can only assume, a Philistine Delilah. He has Philistine friends that he hangs out with and he parties with. And the only time he ever fights the Philistines, it's not in moments when God's people need saving. No, it's in moments when the Philistines get in the way of something Samson wants, which is usually a woman. And it all comes to a head here. Through this text, every time Samson responds to Delilah, there's this refrain. Do this thing to me. My strength will leave me and I will be like any other man. Four times in your English Bible. But here's what the commentators point out. In the Hebrew, it's only the same the first three times. The fourth time, while the English translation won't show you any difference because there's not really a way to show it any differently, the meaning and the intent is just a little bit different. In that moment, Samson's not saying, make me just like anybody else. He's saying, make me like everybody else. He's saying to Delilah, set me free. I don't want the burden of being the deliverer of Israel. I don't want the burden of having to follow God's rules. I don't want the burden of this life that God has given me. I want to do things the way I want to do them. I want to be free of his rule, free of his calling, free from having to think about people outside of myself. And so he lays his head in her lap, having told her his secret because he, more than anything else, Samson wants to be free. And that desire, it is so strong that it deludes him to behave in ways that seem more foolish at every single step. You know, the thing that has always stuck out to me in this story is Samson, he has to know what's happening, doesn't he? I mean, look at everything that's taken place. The only reason he would keep going is if he's deluded. 
Delilah, while she's not stupid, she's not subtle. She told him what she was going to do. Tell me your secret that I could bind you. Not a joke. That's what she wants to do. And subdue you. Again, what she wants to do. And then she proceeds with every step to show you that's what she means. Tell her your secret. He tells her a lie. And guess what? She does that thing to him. Bind me with seven fresh bowstrings. Wake up bound with seven fresh bowstrings. Funny. Bind me with fresh rope. Wake up bound with fresh rope. Weave the seven locks of my hair into a loom and pin it to a wall. Wake up, wait for it, with your hair woven yet again into a loom and tied to a wall. And every single time, somehow mysteriously, in an inner chamber, there are Philistines waiting for you. He knows. Unless he's the stupidest man alive, he knows what's going on. And then there's this. This one has always puzzled me. Who sleeps through any of this? <laughs> when I was in middle school, I remember being on this mission trip where the girls decided they were going to prank the boys in the middle of the night. We were all in one house. The boys were on one side of the building and the girls were on the other. And they decided they were going to sneak into the room and they were going to give us all makeovers while we slept. Great plan. But what, you all know what happens here. What happens? They come in with their lipstick and their makeup. They sneak in the room, so far so good. But then as soon as they start to apply it, what does every single boy do? You wake up. You start to scream. You hit at their hands. They run away giggling, and then it's over. The only person who got a full face of makeup was the guy who woke up and was like, I'm so tired, I don't care. And by the way, I kind of like this girl, so I'm staying. That's it. <laughs> Everyone else wakes up. Samson's not getting a makeover. She binds him with seven fresh bowstrings, with fresh rope. She takes his hair, which is a sensitive thing. I have daughters. And she weaves it into a loom. And all of these things she does with the knowledge that he's the strongest man in the world. So she's not just kind of loosely wrapping it around him. She's binding him as tightly as she possibly can. Samson... Samson's not an idiot. He knows what's happening. And yet Samson, Samson doesn't run. He keeps going back. Because just like so many of us when we bow to our idols, Samson, he's convinced that even though everything is screaming death, even though everything is screaming to him, this will not bring you life, this will destroy you, he's convinced that somehow he's going to be the exception that maybe other people would be destroyed by this, that maybe it had even hurt him in the past, but this time, this time will be different. This time he will escape. And not only that, not only has he deluded himself into thinking he's the exception, but Samson, he's deluded himself into thinking that his strength is never going to leave him. Notice what happens in verses 18 to 20. When Delilah saw that he had told her all his heart, she sent and called the lords of the Philistines, saying, Come up again, for he has told me all his heart. Then the lords of the Philistines came up to her and brought the money in their hands. And notice the intimacy here. She made him sleep on her knees. And she called a man and had him shave off the seven locks of his head. Then she began to torment him. Isn't that what sin does? 
tells you it will give you life, tells you that it loves you, and that as soon as you give it your heart, it begins to beat you. And his strength left him. And she said, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. And he woke from his sleep and he said, and notice this, I will go out as at other times and shake myself free. You think Samson doesn't know his hair's been cut? Every other time he tells her the secret, he wakes up, she's done the thing to him. He put his head on her lap right after telling her the secret. He knows. But what has Samson just said? While with his lips he has said that if you do this thing to me, I will lose my strength. In his heart, he's convinced that he will never, ever lose it. Because he doesn't think that his strength is a gift of God's grace. He thinks that strength is intrinsic to who he is. And he thinks he's so strong that no one will ever be able to overcome it. And notice the tragedy. It says in the very next verse, but he did not know that the Lord had left him. That should scare you. Because here is the dangerous power of desire. It can so delude you. It can so numb you to the truth that even at the very moment where the very Spirit of God has left you, in the moment when destruction is not just knocking on the door, but it is in the house, when the cords of death, they're not just close by, but they have already wrapped themselves around you, you are so deluded you do not even know it's there. And desire does to Samson what a whole city of Philistines couldn't. It destroys him. And the man who could be bound by no one, the man who could be stopped by no one, he wakes up and suddenly he finds himself in the hands of men who are stronger than him because his strength, it is gone. And the man who has been spiritually blind and spiritually enslaved through every single bit of this story, suddenly he is made physically what he has always been spiritually. He is now physically blind and physically enslaved. And he finds himself in the very city that he once walked out the front door of with the gate. He finds himself back inside, this time as a slave. Desire deludes him and desire destroys him. And that is exactly what happens to every single one of us when we give our hearts to the things that the Lord says we shouldn't. This is the pattern of sin. This is what happens every time we bow to an idol and we convince ourselves, no, for me, it'll be different. This time it won't bring death. This time it won't destroy me. It won't hurt me. Other people maybe, but not me. And every single time what follows we find ourselves blind and enslaved even as Samson is. It's the high school girl who's convinced that the thing that will make her happy is that cute boy that sits in her geometry class. And has convinced herself that she can compromise who she is and walk away unscathed. It's the porn addict who's sitting up at night and looking at his computer and who's so desperate for some little taste of validation, something to make him feel good about himself, that he deludes himself into his mind, into thinking, I can click that link, and there will be comfort on the other side, and there will be no consequences. I will feel no shame and no guilt. Instead, I will feel free. 
and then clicks it and defines only death and despair and shame and guilt on the other side. It's the man who thinks that security is in financial possessions and who sacrifices his family and his integrity to get it. Who thinks there will always be another year to invest in my kids. I can always get to it later and that these things I'm doing, they're just small compromises and everybody else is doing it too, so it's not really that big of a deal. But then one year turns into two and two turns into 20 and those small compromises, they become big. And the family that you said one day you'd have time for, they're gone. This is what sin does. We have these desires in our hearts for things that do not give life, and we are so deluded into thinking that they will save us that we give them our hearts, and when we do, they destroy us. We're all Samsons. This is every single one of us, bar none in this room. And yet while this passage, it paints in vivid colors the foolishness of sin, it also shows you something that should give every single one of us hope. It also shows us the faithfulness of God. Samson, he has turned his back on God, but God, he hasn't turned his back on Samson. He reveals himself as a God who loves flawed people. Samson, he's blind, he's bound, he's enslaved, he's in a pit of his own making. And then in verse 22, it says this really odd phrase. It says, but the hair of his head began to grow again after it had been shaved. Now that's not just a random insertion. That's not just the author saying, you know, this would be a good rhetorical flourish. That's there for a reason. Samson's exposed. He can't pretend he's Israel's hero. He can't pretend that he's strong anymore. He can't pretend to be any of the things that he once thought he was. He is weak. He is blind. He is shackled. And it is all his fault. And he knows that he deserves no attention from God. And yet God in his mercy, he takes the very sign that Samson rejected and God begins to restore it. And God looks on this flawed man and he loves him. And Samson, Samson begins to see the Philistines bring him out. They bring him in verses 23 to 25 to the temple of Dagon so they can mock the man that once terrified them. They want to look on him in his humiliation. They want to see him in his defeat. They want to proclaim to the heavens that their God, he is greater than Israel's. And weak, blind, humiliated, defeated Samson with 3,000 voices screaming their derision in his ears, derision he knows he deserves. Samson says to the young boy who's leading them, put my hands on the pillars, the pillars that support the temple. And he places his hands on the pillars, and Samson does something that he has never done before. He prays. And not a prayer of a man presuming on God's grace but a prayer of a man who is desperate for it. Look what he says in verse 28. O Lord God, please remember me and please strengthen me. Only this once. Please remember me. That's not the language of somebody saying, God, maybe you've forgotten me. 
Maybe you don't know I'm here. This is, this is covenant language. Samson's saying, I broke the covenant. I did everything that you told me not to. I ran from you and I hid from you, but I know this. I know who you are. You are the God who is the Lord, the Lord, a God slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. You're the God who when your people sin, you say, confess your sins and I will forgive you. Call to me and I will deliver you. You are the God who loves flawed people. Well, here I am. It's all my fault. I am flawed and I am broken and I am helpless. Save me. Be who you are. And then he adds one thing more. Strengthen me only this once. And do not miss this. Because what did Samson just say? He says something that he never would have said before because he had to be made physically blind in order to spiritually see. The strength that he had, it never came from himself. He's saying, God, it was grace. It was grace that you poured out on me and if you give me that strength just one more time, I know it is grace and grace undeserved. And what does God do? He answers Samson's prayer. And the temple falls and the Philistines perish. And it says that in his death, he killed more than he did in his life. And in loving, flawed Samson, God loves flawed Israel too, because guess what? They get delivered because of the death of that man. But not only do you see a God who loves flawed people, you also see a God who honors flawed faith. You know, the thing that's always puzzled me about Samson is this prayer. On the one hand, it's beautiful. Remember me. Strengthen me. But then he keeps talking and he ruins it. He says something that seems so out of place that a lot of times, I mean, if you're like me, you look at it and go, is this even really faith? Because notice what Samson doesn't say next. He doesn't say, strengthen me only this once that I could bring God glory. Strengthen me only this once that I could now fulfill the calling he gave me to save Israel from the Philistines. Now, God does that through him, but Samson doesn't ask it for that reason. Why does Samson want his strength back? That I may be avenged for my two eyes. Who's Samson thinking about? Himself. Samson, he may have begun to see, and he may have faith, but it is a polluted and flawed and imperfect faith. It's the kind of faith that you look at and you think, well, if someone came to me and they asked for my help and they had wounded me and hurt me and betrayed me, and I saw that they might have a motive that wasn't exactly perfect, I'd probably say no. But what does God do? God doesn't just answer that prayer. God honors it. In the book of Hebrews, there's this whole chapter dedicated to people who trusted God when everything in their lives told them that they shouldn't. People who were faced with circumstances that no earthly power could save them from, barrenness, the inability to have a child, foreign armies that were more powerful, sins that were too deep. And in this list of names of people who all trusted the Lord and followed the Lord, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Moses and Joshua, there's this one name that if we've been reading this story together and you've heard it correctly, you should be shocked that it's included. Hebrews 11, verse 32. What more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, 
Samson, Jephthah of David and Samuel, and the prophets who through faith conquered kingdoms, forced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. God doesn't just answer his prayer. God doesn't just respond to his faith. God honors it. Which if you're anything like me, that should give you an incredible amount of hope. Because God is saying in my economy, when I see faith, even faith, as some famous person in the New Testament said, even faith like a mustard seed, I don't just delight in it. I honor it. And not because of the purity of the person, and not because of the purity of the faith, but because of the one who gives it. You know, the reason that I love this story so much is because the more I've read this story, the more I've begun to see myself in it. You know, growing up, I always thought that the place where safety was found was strength. If you're not seen as smart enough, if your grades aren't good enough, you just work harder. You be stronger than the people around you. Somebody bullies you and they're bigger than you, go to the weight room and get bigger and stop them from doing it again. You feel as though people don't like you, will change who you are, so they begin to like you. You take your own strength, buy your own power, you fix that problem. And what I've discovered over the years, even though that well is one I've gone back to more times than I can count, is that no matter how strong I think I am, the truth is I'm weaker than I could ever imagine. Because in none of those things, in none of those things am I actually in control. I can create the illusion of strength, but I can't create the thing itself and what has been exposed in my life over and over again because I, God loves me, that I'm weak. Body parts give out on me that I kind of want to keep working. My brain doesn't hold on information the way I would hope it would. But even more than that, my heart, my heart looks a lot like Samson's. And it's full of desires for things that I should not desire, desires that delude and desires that destroy. And by faith, it often looks a lot more like Samson's than I'd care to admit. But here's the hope of Judges 16. Our hope is not that we can somehow be different than Samson. Our hope is that we have a God who is faithful even as he was to Samson. And that's the God that we've seen in Jesus. Because who's Jesus? It's in Jesus. It's in Jesus that God loves flawed people. Even you and even me. Because Jesus, he's everything Samson wasn't. Jesus is a man who is set apart by God even before his birth to live his life in a certain way and to fulfill a very specific calling, not just to save God's people for a moment like Samson, but to save them for eternity. And where Samson rejected that calling and only fulfills it almost seemingly by accident, Jesus, Jesus is one who embraced that calling body and soul. Where Samson looked on God's people and he saw a burden that he needed to be freed from, Jesus looked at us and he saw sheep that he loved. Where Samson 
was bound and captured and betrayed and eventually killed because of the foolishness of his own son. Jesus is the one who was betrayed and bound and killed, not because of his own sin, but because he wanted to redeem you and me from ours. And Jesus is the one who, when he gave himself over to death, it wasn't to destroy his enemies. It was to save them. And it's that Jesus who now sits at the Father's right hand. It's that Jesus who now calls to all of us who are weak like Samson and says, come to me. And it's in Jesus that God honors flawed faith. Because who's Jesus? Jesus is the one in Hebrews 12 who is not just the founder of your faith as it says in verse 2. He's not just the one who gives it. He's what? He's the perfecter. He's the tender gardener who takes the sick plant that is your faith and nourishes it and cherishes it and cares for it until it is able to bear the fruit that he intends and he never gives up until it's done. In Jesus... We see the God who is faithful even when we are faithless. In the call of Judges 16, it's simply this. As those who are like Samson, turn to the God who is faithful and say with confidence that you were heard, Lord Jesus, remember me. And here's your hope. While we're all like Samson, There is no God in heaven who is not like Jesus. And it's that Jesus, it's that Jesus who is faithful even to the faithless, even to those who think they are strong when really they are weak. Let me pray. Father, we're grateful this morning for your word, Lord, that it speaks life, that it offers life, that, Lord, it gives us not just hope of a Savior, but the reality of a Savior in Jesus. And we ask, Lord, that you would take these truths, the faithfulness of our God, and you would meet us in our brokenness and in our sin and in our need. And may we be those who not only cry to you and say, remember me, but those who have experienced your redemption fully and completely in Jesus. We pray this in his name. Amen. You've been listening to the Perimeter Church Podcast. Perimeter Church is located at the corner of Highway 141 and Old Alabama Road in Johns Creek, Georgia. Please visit our website at www.perimeter.org for more information, to give us your feedback, and find other messages from our teaching team. Thanks for making this podcast a part of your day.